Hello, you amazing podcast listeners. Whatever you're doing, running, cycling, I listen to podcasts while I'm cycling, driving in your car. I really like audio podcasts uh, more than video podcasts, I reckon. It just kind of invades your day. Like I'm aware that I'm in your head right now, hopefully joining you on a fun part of your day. Okay, so this episode you're about to listen to is with Gina Castello, and I just wanted to jump on quickly and let you know how embarrassed I am about this episode. Uh, I tried to follow a bit of a program. So we had a, a volunteer producer, news producer come in and produce the show, you know, come up with the topics and the um, direction of the conversation and then make a run sheet for us. And Gina Costello represents those people in Victoria who were open to Dan Daniel Andrews, the premier, being a great guy at the beginning a couple of years ago. And the thought of him keeping us safe. And over time, they've discovered what we all know, which is he's not keeping us safe at all. Uh, and perhaps his motivations were not even to keep us safe. It was to build his own empire and so on, uh, his political future. But look, why I'm embarrassed is because I took this run sheet and I tried to uh, connect with the guest and aware that this episode, more than others, might be attracting guests who feel similarly to Gina. You know, they previously or maybe still think that Daniel Andrews kept them safe. So to try and connect with them and out of my own fears and insecurities, not wanting to go too hard into these guests, into these listeners, I said things like, look, I'm starting to wonder if Dan isn't keeping us safe. Now, <laughs> that's so stupid. I know he's not trying to keep us safe, but... Out of my own insecurities, I've tried to uh, connect with them where they're at. And when I'm watching this back in the edit today, uh, I'm pretty disgusted by my my behavior. I'm like, that's it. Just feels a little bit a current affair, you know. Like I'm trying to say something, and it's not not completely genuine. So about a third of the way through, roughly, I got sick of it, and I just got rid of the run sheet and started to loosen up and became a m lot more genuine. But overall, and you, you're not seeing the video version of this, but in the video version, you'll see I don't look at the camera much. I'm looking down a lot at the desk. And I reckon that was a subconscious kind of a shame I was feeling, not wanting to uh, look the people in the eye as I was trying to follow this program. So anyway, uh, I, I've, I feel embarrassed, but this story is so important. You know, this is nothing to do with Gina uh, and her grandfather, Angela, who died and, and what they've been through with uh, Victorian government. And, and the health department, they're, they're completely genuine and real and uh, have a very important story to tell. So I le I'm leaving this episode up despite my bad behavior and hopefully people can uh, forgive me for that and enjoy the episode anyway. And I've promised everyone that in the future I will find my balls and be a man again and not be so afraid of uh, letting my opinions out in front of guests and potential viewers. <laughs> quite positive towards Daniel Andrews a couple of years ago. Yeah. But now you're terrified of him getting back in. Terrified. Legitimately terrified. I'm scared of what could eventuate from this particular individual retaining that position of power and authority and what he's managed to get away with. <laughs>
If you live here in the free state of Victoria in Australia, you will be very happy with our Premier Dan Andrews who has kept us all safe from coronavirus. Which is interesting because you've seen a lot about this hotel quarantine fiasco. We've had a code inquiry, we've had a lot of media around it, and I'm, I'm starting to wonder whether he in fact kept us safe at all. In fact, now if you look at ambulance waiting times and you look at what happened with the hotel quarantine, it seems that in fact he might be doing the very opposite. Thankfully, he, the man himself, Danny Andrews, has said that the buck stops with him when it comes to hotel quarantine. He said that in a press conference. I'm accountable for any mistakes and all mistakes that are made. I've never shirked that responsibility. I've never moved so much as an inch away from that responsibility. That is the role that I have. Uh, I will own those errors. I will be accountable for those errors. And if the buck truly does stop with Daniel Andrews, then it's about high time we explore exactly what happens right now with the ambulance crisis. But specifically with Hotel Quarantine today, we're gonna to be talking with my guest today, Gina Castello, whose grandfather died as part of the 801 deaths in the Hotel Quarantine fiasco. Gina, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. Gina, I think, uh, as I said in the intro, this idea that Dan Andrews keeps us safe is something that he himself has been using as an excuse to do lockdowns and so on. Uh, but now when it comes to, okay, let's talk about the hotel quarantine fiasco, he wants us to forget. Mm. And I'm starting to wonder if um, we really need to start remembering exactly what happened. That's why you're here today. So can you, um, cast your mind back to the, before we get to your grandfather, Angela, can you cast your mind back to the code inquiry? Yes, I can. <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah. So, so tell me what you thought of this code inquiry when <clears throat> the code inquiry, for those who don't know, was designed to investigate how these 801 people died. Was it the fault of the government or not? What did you think of it? Uh, so for myself personally, I remember seeing it on the TV and I thought that there would be some sort of, um, resolve happening because of it. I thought whoever was responsible or whoever's made these decisions, they would come to light. Um, obviously with him, him being Dan, uh, Daniel Andrews, being up in press conferences saying the buck stops with me and, mm. um, you know, I'm, I'm the one at account. But then when the quotes inquiry was happening, he wasn't accountable. I was sitting there thinking, okay, we're going to get to the crux of this. And then as I'm watching the TV with the kids in the background, um, I remember him saying diligently, um, I don't recall, I don't remember. And I just kept thinking to myself, oh my God, like we're not gonna, we're not going to get a resolve from this. We're not going to actually know the truth. Mm. And clearly what he says, being that the buck stops with him, isn't true. It's all just smoke and mirrors. But if you think in his perspective, he would have to say, I don't recall, right? Because this whole, the whole problem was that the hotel quarantine we had, we had, I guess, quarantined COVID-19 within these hotels. And then he, instead of using normal security guards, uh, normal police or whatever, he used private security firms through contracts that were awarded through the Labor Machine Trades Hall Union Movement. And it's come to light how dodgy all of that was. Yeah. But when you think about um, the fact that a lot of COVID then got out and then it is this, oh, I'm a bit sketchy on this. Is it that the COVID got out and got into nursing homes and killed people? Is that what we're all jumping up and down about, these 800 people? 
I think it's to, that was like a two-part question. So the first part being is, is he in a position where he should have said that? No, because that's blatantly lying. You know, said what? He, when he said that he couldn't recall and couldn't remember. Oh, right, okay. I think he's About in a position... Cards. Yes, yeah. well, he would know, and he's choosing not to inform us, the public, the taxpayer, the person that put him in that position to be accountable for our safety and our well-being. So the first part of that question is most definitely a no. What he's doing by answering it that way is disregarding the hurt and the turmoil that majority of us Victorians have been through, specifically my family. And further to that, it's kind of minimising what has actually eventuated because it's kind of saying, well, hang on a minute, I am above the law. I don't have to be accountable for this. I'm in a position of a power and authority and I can get away with it. Um, So no, for that part of the question. The second part of the question, um, it does, I think, relate to the hotel quarantine because we knew that there were people coming back into the state um, and rather than set it up and I suppose position it in a way that it would minimise risk, I feel like that what has happened is it's been a quick fix in assigning um, roles and jobs for whoever might seem fit and the way that I would assess what would be deemed fit is very different I feel than what he has deemed as fit. I don't think there's been adequate places put in. I don't think it was the right teams. I think he did it to benefit himself and his comrades, not us, the people. Okay, so these measures that he's taken for the last two years we've all lived under, Yes. are you saying he didn't do enough? Are you saying that he was corrupt in the way he did it? What what are we saying here? I think we need to stop hearing what he says and I think we need to start looking at what he does. Okay. So he said all the right things. Yeah. What he's done is the total opposite to that. Okay. So let's talk about um, exactly... Well, he he did say, I don't recall, I don't recall, didn't he? We should show people... Yeah, right, let's have a look at that clip. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid I, I, have, I have tried to search my recall of this and I, I simply can't I can't provide you with detail as to why they're mentioned and others aren't. So I take it from that answer, Premier, that you can't recall what precisely was in your mind about the enforcement model, if I might use that expression, um, no, at the I, time you made these remarks. Yes, I, I cannot. I cannot recall that. Did you have anything else in mind about the work that had been being done for the purposes of a quarantine program? Not that I specifically recall, no. Okay, so that's what he says, he doesn't recall, but as you said, let's look at what he does, not what he says. So yes. let's you let's talk about your specific experience. Your grandfather, uh, Angelo. Yes. He was a victim of uh well you tell you let you tell the story. Who is Angelo? Angelo is my grandfather. Mm. Um, he passed away directly related to the decisions made by the Andrews government with the hotel quarantine in the fact that the quarantining wasn't successful um, and it's gotten out to the community and it infected majority of the staff and uh, patients and residents of different nursing homes. Um, and my grandfather was in one of those. So he was actually part of the Alfred Hospital okay. um, because he was admitted earlier for um, different reasons. And then he went into Twin Towers, which is half respite and half nursing home. That particular residence got infected with COVID. Um, they believed he was infected with COVID. And I use the word believe because we never saw results of his COVID tests. 
um, and amongst the chaos of trying to figure out if he needed uh, medical intervention or assistance, um, we then transferred him back to the Alfred, uh, and that's where he ended up staying for two weeks before he passed. So they're telling you that he has COVID, but we don't know because they haven't got a test. So they they told us that he had a test, and yes. then I requested the information on that, and I wanted to see the result. I still to this day have not seen the result. And then I said, well, that's not good enough. Do another test. We need to know whether he's got it or not. And if he doesn't, we don't want him to be in a home that's currently being riddled by it. We want to right. try and obviously avoid yes. him getting it, especially yeah. with all the information that was out at the time and how dangerous it was for his cohort. Yeah. Um, they did another test. Again, haven't seen the result, but was told that, yes, it was positive. Okay. Um, in the midst of this happening, we were discussing whether we could remove him from the home. Uh, we were told no, we didn't have we didn't have access. He was pretty much a prisoner there. So then I said, okay, rather than leaving him at the home, could we maybe take him to the hospital where he'd get care? I mean, that's what you automatically think when you think of a hospital is that you would get care. They're also a big vector for disease. Yes, um, and I suppose if he's already been tested as positive, I've been told twice. Yeah the place that you would go when you have a disease to get care is at hospital. Mm. So we went back and forth. And when I say we, I mean my grandmother and my family. And we said, okay, if this is what they're telling us, if this is the information we now need to base our decision on. And it at the time felt like a life or death decision mm. and resulted in a life or death decision. We said, let's take him to the hospital where we believe he will get care. Okay. So before we get to what happened mm. in hospital, yes. Uh, I'm I'm not sure here what more. If we're if we're telling Daniel Andrews that he didn't do enough, what could he have done in this scenario? How, how have we failed Angelo in this case to to keep COVID out is impossible as we're seeing right now. COVID's everywhere. Yes. So how can we before we go into the depths of what happened here and the the, the um the incompetence? Yes. How can we blame Daniel Andrews for not keeping COVID out? I don't think it's like, how can we blame? It's about acknowledging the decisions that he's made that has resulted to this. Okay. He was in charge of how we navigate and manage the quarantine facilities for people that came back to the state. Mm. And that was grossly mismanaged. It's mm. that simple. He didn't hire adequate people to do the role. He hired, in my opinion, friend of a friend or someone who would get a cutback or mm. whatever the case is. So... Here we are in a position, and I say we as in my family, relying on what we've been told in press conferences and in the media, you will be taken care of, hotel quarantine is what makes you safe, um, you know, self-isolate, all of that. And we're doing our end of the bargain and we're believing what we've been told to then come to the realisation that, hang on a minute, he hasn't done his end of the bargain. He hasn't done his due diligence and, and put in the right staff and the right protocols and, you know, adhered to his own policies and own words mm. um, to keep us safe. Okay. Do you see where so, I'm going Okay, so that? you're saying he's setting up a standard and he's not ab he's, we're all abiding by it, mostly, 90-whatever percent, but he's not. Is it? Okay. So do you hold him responsible for what we're about to talk with Angelo? Would he be alive today? Is that what we're saying? I think that's an interesting question because at the end of the day, death will come knocking when it comes. Yes. And I was having this conversation with someone else before where what value do you put on time? Yeah. 
you know, if you've got a, a young child who's got leukaemia and they've got, you know, an expiration date, yeah. does that mean that their time is not valuable if they could live an extra day, an extra week, an extra year? Right. So the question, would he be alive today? I really don't know. I don't know. He might have died last year right. or a month after he had gotten COVID. I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. But what I do feel has happened as a result of the decisions made by the government is that time was taken away. And it wasn't just the time that he was alive for. It was the time in those last two weeks where we couldn't be with him, where we wow. couldn't see him. Yeah. We couldn't say goodbye. They didn't let you. See, this is probably, I'm, I'm probably asking the wrong questions the past two years. It's this binary of, will we live or will we die? And will Dan Andrews keep us safe or not? And any other leader in whatever country you're in. But maybe that's not the question. Maybe what we're highlighting today, having a bit of a realization on air, is that they're actually shortening um, our lives. And the fact that you can't, you couldn't say goodbye. Okay, let's talk about the incompetence in, mm. in the hospital and how it came to that. So he's in a nursing home, as you said, then you've moved him around uh, as you could and he's ended up in, in the hospital. Can you tell me about, um, you said something in this email about these texts and the way that they lost your, they lost Angelo? What's all that about? Yeah, so there was a lot of, if you can, I suppose, picture the chaos that was unfolding because um, there was every day there was a new residence testing positive, staff testing positive. The hospital was starting to fill up with patients. So there was a real sort of sense of chaos amongst all of this happening. Um, when we made the decision and said, okay, if he's got COVID and you're in a position to take him to help care for him, let's bring him to the hospital. So they said, yes, they've brought him to the hospital. Um, and then 24 hours later, my grandmother gets a text message actually saying, with a photo of my grandfather lying on the side of the bed, um, is this Angelo? Um, is this your husband? Is this your husband? <laughs> wow. um, and this is this is completely accurate. And she was obviously really distraught because the last mm. thing you want, he was quite vulnerable. It was quite a violation, really. Well, you isolated, right? You can't go into the COVID ward. Uh, he wasn't isolated at that point because oh. the hospital didn't know where he had come from. He was actually in a non-COVID ward, okay. but supposedly had COVID. So God knows who he had put at risk or the hospital had put at risk because they didn't, again, do their due diligence. Okay. And then when we were able to identify and say, well, actually, yes, that's Angelo. Yes. He was then moved into the COVID ward. Wow. Yes. World's best health system. Mm. Okay. And uh, uh, I, can't, I can imagine that's because he's now passed. Mm. Uh, that would live with your grandmother forever, that text message. Yes. Yes, it really does. So this is a hospital that's meant to be uh, keeping us safe. Uh, it seems like these rules are for us, the common man, but not for them. We were told over and over, do the right thing, follow the rules, policy, policy, policy. Mm. Uh, are, you, are you suggesting that the experience you went through, it seems like they weren't following policies or procedures? Most definitely not. You know, even even right down to the fact that my grandmother was with my grandfather every single day. Um, the actual place that he was residing in before going to the hospital, right. they knew her by first name and she was there the minute that they opened, literally to the minute that they had shut. So she would have been likely a close contact. And at that point, 
she was expected to isolate yes. and, um, and do a PCR test until she got a result. She did not have any contact made with her until two weeks after my grandfather's funeral. That is a total of four weeks after being identified as a close, as contact. A close contact. But her being a upstanding citizen and a wonderful human being, yes. she took it upon herself to immediately get tested yeah. after his first positive that we were told, that he had a first positive test. Yes. Um, and she's still isolated in that time in the hope. It, it came back negative. Um, it, she's still isolated in the hope that she could at one point just see him again. And unfortunately, that never happened. So can you tell me that story? Why is it that she and you couldn't see Angela before he died? So we were told, again, uh, about policies that being a COVID positive patient, you're not allowed in the hospital because you run the risk of being able to get COVID yourself. I had ample conversations, copious conversations with so many different staff at the hospital mm. trying to figure out a way to get him home. Um, and at the very least, if he couldn't come home, for us to get to him. Um, I even offered to wear hazmat suits, like anything and everything. And after, I can't even recall how many conversations, what we kind of figured out is if he's listed as palliative care, at the end of his 14-day period, my grandmother would be able to see him. So we said, okay, let's list him as palliative care. And at the 14th day you'll be able to see him. So you'd already resigned within yourself that your grandfather is dying. This is the end. Well, yes and no. I think part of it was the fact that they kept telling us over and over that he's not going to survive it. Um, it was so morbid. I can't even tell you. Yeah. Um, every time my grandmother would call, and she'd again call every single day, um, just to check if he's been fed. Has anyone held his hand? Yeah. Has he been changed? Um and I'm quite confident that majority of those things were not met, basic things were not met, um, based on the conversations had with her. They said, oh, he can't feed himself. Well, he can't feed himself. He's quite unwell. Yeah. Isn't that where the care part is meant to come in? Um, and she was met with responses like, he's got COVID, why are you bothering? <laughs> he's got COVID, why are you bothering? He's what got COVID. I think the exact quote was, he's got COVID, don't you watch the news? What are they implying here? He's implying going to die that he's anyway. going to die. So why why are we even asking about feeding him? Why are we even asking about really? any of these things? Yes. Oh, nice. Yeah. Where I, is this Alfred Hospital? Alfred Hospital, and I called and put in a complaint. You yeah. know, there is there is a lot of um, a lot of things that had happened in that hospital that was really dissatisfying and really um, distressing to say yeah. the least with his care, and we couldn't understand amongst all this how. Myself and my grandmother didn't get it. So my grandma, I'm very close to my grandparents and um, I was kind of the one advocating because she just couldn't do it. And this is the thing. We were there the whole time. My grandmother was spoon feeding him, um, you know, giving him food, eating it. They're there watching Italian news because he reverted back to his native language. She didn't get it and she's still isolated. Like We tried to go see her and she refused to leave the apartment because she wanted the opportunity just to see him one more time. What's the cause of death on his birth certificate? On his COVID. 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 And they got every his death certificate, I can't tell you, it is riddled with inaccuracies. Do you think he caught COVID in there and that killed him in hospital? I do think that if he was to have caught COVID, I genuinely believe he would have caught it in the COVID ward. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And if we had known that he actually had a negative test, yeah. we would never have sent him to the Alfred Hospital, I would have been able to discharge him and bring him home. And he may have had a few more, more time. years or whatever. Even if yeah. he didn't, even if he had, even if, let's just say this is the last two years of his life, yeah. uh, two weeks of his life, 
he would have gone out the way he should have with my grandmother by his side. Yeah. Had the hospital done their job properly? I seriously think no. I don't believe they did. I don't believe... Had they done it properly, though, yeah, he would have been out. Yeah, well, I mean, there was so much wrong with every single aspect of his journey. Like, when I say journey, I mean from being in the um in the twin towers from being diagnosed from transitioning to the hospital being in the wrong ward like every single element was wrong so if the hospital had done their job properly i think that he would have been in in a better state he didn't have fluid i i had to argue for two days straight and when i say argue i mean i raised my voice like it got to the point where i did not feel i was being heard i had to raise my voice and threaten you know a current affair, lawyers, like just somebody, give the man a bag of fluid. He can't drink. What are you doing? You're starving him to death. And only when I got to that point did someone say, well, hang on a minute, she's serious. She's like a dog with a bone. She's not going to give up on this. Let's give him a bag of fluid. And then when they gave him the bag of fluid, they kept reiterating to my grandmother and me, this doesn't mean he's going to make it. Don't get your hopes up high. Um, You know, we're doing it because you're making us. Like, it was just absolutely horrific. And I had to try and relay that to my grandmother, you know. She couldn't comprehend it. They kept talking to her in such a dismissive way. It wasn't even Mary. It was nonna or grandma. Like, it was just so dismissive. The whole thing was just really traumatic and really disappointing. Hey, I, I should ask, do you... Mm. Do you there, there's one, that's one out of 801. Yes, There must be a lot of stories like this. There are most definitely a lot of stories. Um, You know, during the process of trying to, you know, get my grandmother to him and after when he had passed away, I started reaching out to whoever I could, you know. And um, one of the people I reached out to was a a lawyer who was volunteering her time and sort of putting together a class action. And she informed me of the different people that she has been in contact with, um, you know, that have similar stories and... Of incompetence, of government incompetence. Yeah, and really distressingly, um, you know, the level of treatment, I kind of feel like the value of a human life during all of this really diminished and that really begs question to where we are, you know, in humanity, like as people in humanity and what we offer, like how, Mm. when did COVID get introduced and all this get introduced that we think to ourselves, well, it's just another pet, like another life, who cares? Like every life matters. That's my life, that's your life. That's your kids, my kids, every life matters. So I just can't comprehend how dismissive everyone has been over it. It's just, it, it really blows my mind. Do you think people will vote Daniel Andrews in again in six months? I'm absolutely terrified of that. I'm absolutely terrified of that happening. Um, but you, because I asked you when you first came in, you weren't necessarily, you, you're, you're quite positive towards Daniel Andrews a couple of years ago. Yeah. But now you're terrified of him getting back in. Terrified. Legitimately terrified. I'm scared of what could eventuate from this particular individual retaining that position of power and authority and what he's managed to get away with and not be held accountable for. I think we'd have to be... I think it'll say a lot about us as a society on what we do come this election. Um, If we forget and he says, we're going to build a new road and we go, great, love you. Yeah, and it's not even just about forgetting. I think it's about being conditioned. Um, You know, I think there's an element of us that say, you know, let's just push it to the side or too hard basket or it didn't affect me, so I'm good. 
Um, but then there's the other part of it where people are so conditioned to this kind of treatment. Yes. You know, it's very cognitive behavioural, isn't it? It's mm. like telling a dog to sit and giving them a bickie. Mm. We're so conditioned by by him and his team and, and what we heard and what he does that we just kind of go along for the ride. We don't really know much better. Until tragedy, life happens, and then we go, wow. Directly to you. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm hoping from this is that people say, well, aren't I fortunate that it hasn't happened mm. to my family? Okay, so while he's in hospital, they also administer morphine to him without permission. Please yes. tell us that story. So my grandfather was very unwell and wasn't in a very, um, wasn't in a very good state. And... He can't speak English. He, uh, he's reverted back to his native tongue, which is Italian. So I don't understand how they've managed to gain consent, mm. but they claim that they had and um, they administered morphine. And then I was told later on that they give that to their palliative care patients. That's how my mum died, yeah. So and, in a yeah. certain, yeah, they give quite a lot yeah. to make them comfortable. Yeah, yeah. But then I, when we questioned, well, how did you know he was uncomfortable to begin with? You know, he couldn't, he couldn't communicate this. So I'm, I'm curious, how did you know? Because, the, because the, the wife wasn't in there, She obviously. wasn't there. Okay. They didn't have any interpreters. Like, he was in a COVID ward. They minimised contact. Like, how did they come to this decision? Um, what was the observations? And what I was told in response to my question was he squirmed. He was squirming. And I said, well, hang on a minute. If you're in bed 24 hours a day and nobody's cleaning you, feeding you, you're on a drip because after how many days of not being on one because... I argued that he's going to squirm. Was that the only thing that, you know, the only observation? Oh, and he had a high temperature. And when I inquired on what the high temperature was, I didn't get it until I got the documents for the Freedom of Information. And the highest temperature was like, I think it was um, 36.8 or something. It was raised. Oh, okay. It was raised. It wasn't even high. Uh, what harm would that morphine have done? I mean, generally you want them to give morphine if you're in pain though, right? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Um I think the, the downside to that is being how his treatment was over that two-week period where he wasn't being very well cared for. Yeah. I think that would have been at his complete demise. I feel like they had already made a decision that they wanted him to go, yeah. and I think that's why they administered the morphine, in my, in my opinion. Which is a very common thing in which palliative care. Which is very care. common in palliative they care. They overboost the morphine, they go out happy, and mm. then they're no longer a problem on my schedule. Mm. And I think the other side of that as well is if that's where they were going with it, um, obviously a conversation needed to be had. Yes. Um, but even putting aside the conversation, it was just so inhumane because we didn't even get to say goodbye, like not even by FaceTime. Yeah. You know, there's technology. Mm. We didn't even have that at our disposal. We were just, we literally got a phone call and said, he's no longer here. You know, any nurse or doctor will tell you that there are signs mm. um, and being in palliative care, they'd be very conscious to look for that. And we were completely robbed of that. So. So you listen for palliative care so that you can see him at the end of the 14 days? At the end of the 14 days. So we didn't actually think that, I mean, we knew that it was a possibility, obviously, that he was going to go because of contracting this disease. Mm. Um, but m me, myself, I hadn't resigned to that yet. The reason why I was opting for the palliative care after the conversations had was purely out of the hope and anticipation that my grandmother, not even me or my mum or uncles, or just so my grandmother could see him mm. at that 14-day period. Um, and sadly, on his 14th day when they did the rounds in the morning, 
he was alive and then 20 minutes later when they came to check on him, he had passed away. So we didn't even get a phone call to let us know that that was his last day to say goodbye. This is insane that uh, we are literally preventing people from seeing their loved ones. Mm. I mean, the, the wife of Angelo, your grandmother, couldn't see him before he died. That's mm. nuts. Mm. We're talking about policy. So the hospital had policy. Yeah. The Twin Towers had... Everyone had all this policy. And like I said at the beginning, we're adhering to that. Yeah. We're isolating. We're doing PCR yeah. tests. We're doing all this stuff. He's now passed away, right? Yeah. We can't change what's now happened. We've just got to try and honour the cultural and religious side of things for him and yeah. let him pass. When we go to the funeral um, to say goodbye and give him his, you know, religious rights, there were police officers there. There were? We what? couldn't have more than 10 people at the cemetery, oh, Preston Cemetery. Policy lives on. So, and we're talking like the church that he got, he had his um, funeral in, and I was very fortunate to be the one to read... Um, his memorial, mm. I remember looking out and my grandmother's completely on her own. Like, what a strong woman. I don't know how she endured what she did. But she's on her own and none of us can go near her. And the church is absolutely massive in size. Like, my local Safeway is smaller. Mm. And here I am, prior to the funeral, going to Safeway to get tissues and mm. wipes and whatnot for my kids. And um, I remember looking around, such a surreal feeling, because I'm like, are they... Is this really what's happening? Like, mm. people are butting up next to each other and quickly running to the toilet paper aisle and, like, fighting mm. over toilet. And then here I am reading out this memorial for one of the greatest men mm. in this empty hall that mm. was so big and there was only nine other people there. Nine? Because you could only have ten. Oh, wow. And then we all sort of went outside, released some doves, which was lovely, and my dad couldn't even be there for my mum. My dad gave up his position for my other brother. Um, <laughs> so then we head off to the funeral, uh, not the funeral, sorry, to the cemetery. Um, and he, he goes into the, the wall. And my dad wanted to come out to at least see that because he has his burial rights there with the priest. Mm. And as he's gotten out thinking a cemetery shouldn't be an issue. I mean, mm. cemeteries are open spaces. Mm. Um, no, there was people waiting. There was two staff from the actual cemetery and there was also two police and you could see that they were uncomfortable uh and we were even more uncomfortable and I think the grief really hit hard then because it's like when does my grandfather in all of this just cut a break like he's he's dead like let's just wrap our head around that for a minute mm. it's ridiculous so <clears throat> he still got buried and we still still able to say our goodbyes but we couldn't actually hug each other um, and then a year on, we were in lockdown again and we couldn't even go back. I'm laughing because it's just absolutely ludicrous. But I can see why you're losing faith in the system. It's just complete distrust. These policies make no sense. Um, and I think that's the part that gets me the most. It's different if they're being adhered to by everybody. Mm. But when you start to see the cracks through lived experience and you're starting to say, well, hang on a minute, this is what I've done, this is what I'm doing, this is what he's done, this is what he's doing, or they, or however you want to word it, that's when you've got to really sit back and say, hang on a minute, this is such a broken system, there's so much wrong here, if we don't fix it, no one will. Okay, I said in the intro, you know, perhaps, Daniel, um, 
not just here, but in other places, they're not keeping us safe. Well, here in Victoria, do you remember when uh, Dan Andrews said in his election, for uh, he promised, I promised to fix the ambulance crisis, and that's exactly what we've done. Uh, the um, what else did he say? He said. Victoria, oh, this is his uh, health minister. Victoria's health system will receive a $1.3 billion injection to quickly establish an extra 4,000 ICU beds, and we will raise that from 450 to 4,500 beds in total, which we don't have now, two no, years no. on. Mm -hmm. uh, and we also have the Ambulance Union of Victoria coming out saying delays when reaching triple zero co triple zero calls are costing lives and one in three paramedics consistently or usually feel too fatigued to drive safely one in five report that they're usually or consistently asked to work after being too fatigued some are working 21 hours with no breaks it i'm raising all this to say when he says one thing does the opposite at this point i am struggling to remain a neutral journalist and mm -hmm. i really think he's killing us people can't get through to triple o this is um, the opposite of what he's telling us in these in these ads. Yes, I agree <laughs> wholeheartedly. And I think that's what we all need to start doing is, I mean, it's, it's wonderful to be told things that you want to hear. Mm. It makes us feel good and fuzzy and secure. Um, but when you actually step back from that for a minute and see what is happening and actually pay attention to what's going on and what's unfolding, you have a, a duty to acknowledge it and sort of address it and say, well, hang on a minute, this is not what we've been promised. This is not what we've been told. Something has severely gone wrong from what you're saying to what you're doing and where the collateral damage. So this was the point of the code inquiry is to say exactly what went wrong. And the code inquiry found that no one was responsible for the hotel quarantine mess. Uh, and in fact, are you aware of Not Above the Law, the campaign? Yes, I am. Works, I think. Okay. Yeah. So Ken Phillips from Self-Employed Australia yes. launches this campaign. He's been on the show a number of times, and they're trying to hold the government to account in so many areas, one of them being hotel quarantine, uh, but also just this whole WorkSafe issue where if you kill someone as an employer, you go to jail, basically. Uh, but if you're the government, it doesn't seem to apply to you. I think one of the main problems is that when WorkSafe investigated, uh, thanks to the Not Above the Law campaign, they are prosecuting the department. There's no um, no person that they're prosecuting. So the department, I suppose, runs itself. Runs itself. Mm -hmm. It's going to be one in the government. It'll be the government prosecuting itself, right? So what mm -hmm. they'll do is they'll fill a wheelbarrow full of cash. Mm -hmm. and they'll wheel it from one room to the other room to, to pay the... They'll just plead guilty and then pay the fine. And some will fall out along the way to lawyers. Uh, so... This Not Above the Law campaign, uh, let's show the clip that uh, we've shown before, but it's uh, run by Ken Phillips from Self-Employed Australia to highlight exactly uh, this discrepancy between what they do and what they say. No excuses. Just use the stepladder. So how's the weekend? Did absolutely nothing. This is WorkSafe's own TV commercial. If you don't take care of them at work and make sure they can return home safe every day, we'll make sure you face the consequences. Hotel quarantine killed 801 people. If it was anything other uh, than a good system, then I doubt very much that other first ministers across the country would have agreed to copy it. One man says the buck stops with him. 
ultimately I'm accountable. I, I, am, I am accountable for the decisions that are made. Absolutely everything we could. We must respect the dead. WorkSafe must prosecute. 801 Victorians dead, but not forgotten. It's time to act because no one is above the law. Okay, so that was the uh, campaign from Not Above the Law. How do you find as using the WorkSafe ad against them? Uh, so I think it's powerful and I think it's important. Mm. Um, and I think it's necessary purely because there are so many people that this has affected directly. And it's not just about, I mean, it is primarily about the hotel quarantine and the 801 people that were directly affected, our family being one of them. There's just a number in a lot of our minds. 800 people. Exactly. Three people couldn't get through to triple O. Exactly. And this is the thing is that we've been so badly slammed over the last couple of years with so much negativity that we have to compartmentalise just to deal with it. Mm. So many of us are still in survival, just survival mode, just trying to get by. But if you take a minute just to stop and realise that that's not a number, these are people. These people have families. Mm. I'm one of the family members. Angela's not a number. Gina uh, Costello, thank you so much for coming in. I suspect that our government would like us to be like a goldfish and forget. Mm. That would be most convenient for them. Mm. But uh, thanks to people like you and others who are brave enough to tell their stories. It's not just another number. It was a human. It was Angelo. Uh, and this is what, what they said and this is what they did. We're not going to forget. No. In fact, I think part of the grieving process, I think we should all try and remember exactly what's happened to us this past two years. I think so. Thank you very much for telling your story. Thank you for having me.